0: that this is a time where uh, we all reflect back on our year. We look ahead. we Some of us make resolutions uh, for the future. And uh, as much as that's great for us, uh, I really want to take a look at something that God resolved to do through the cross and he already accomplished. I don't want us to think about necessarily what we're going to do, but what he did. And it's a little bit, this message is a continuation of what I talked about on Christmas Eve. You know, that the marvelous reality that God humbled himself, that he would seek after us, that he would rescue us. And 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 as much as I marvel at the character of God in the Christmas story, I also marvel at what he resolved to create when he rescued us and saved us from sin on the cross and birthed what we're a part of as the church. And so this message is less, I said, about goals we need to accomplish, but benefits that we need to enjoy in the new year, power that we need to lean into. You know, it's like it would be foolish if you got to age 70 and you never withdrew your Social Security benefits. You paid into it your whole life, and here they pass this law, and they set aside this money, and Lord willing, they'll still have some of it when I get to that age. But it would be foolish to just leave that money on the table and not actually take it. It would be, it'd be foolish if you inherited a house but you never moved into the house you just lived on the lawn especially in weather like this you wouldn't want to be living out on the lawn you know but i feel like that's what we do a little bit as christians with what we've inherited with what god has purposed in the church are we fully embracing what he resolved to do and accomplish let's read about it here in ephesians chapter 2 i'm going to be reading from ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 11 Who's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, Jesus's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross that is Jews and Gentiles, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's a beautiful passage, the second half of Ephesians chapter 2, and it's all about what God resolved to create through Christ's work on the cross. Paul starts by explaining here the Gentiles, that is everyone who is ethnically not a Jew, such as the majority Norwegian that I myself am, We were not included in Abraham's covenant, nor did we practice the sign of the covenant that is circumcision. So we were not a part, anyone who's not ethnically a Jew is not a part of Israel, God's Old Testament people. They were formerly excluded from all the Old Testament promises and blessings. But as I preached on Christmas, God humbled himself in Christ, sought out all people, from all stations of life and walks of life, Jew and Gentile alike, and rescued us all from our sin and from the prospect of death through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. As a result, Paul appropriately calls the person of Jesus, the person of Jesus, our peace, our wholeness with God. But this passage is just as much about the peace that we enjoy with God as it is about the peace that we are now freed to enjoy with each other. For Paul explains it was God's purpose on the cross to break down the barriers of hostility and differences that existed between Jews and Gentiles and to take what was formerly two categories of humanity and turn them into one. It's sort of like the cronut. Have any of you ever enjoyed a cronut? It is neither a donut nor is it a croissant. It is a completely new category of dessert, right, and of of breakfast material. It's the same thing here. Jesus didn't join the Gentiles to the Jews and make them Jews. He took the Gentiles and the Jews and he turned them into something absolutely brand new together. Jesus accomplished that, Paul explains in verse 15, by fulfilling the Mosaic law and setting aside its regulations and customs to remove them as an obstacle for those who are not ethnically Jewish. It's, it's sort of like if we had stipulations for membership in the branches community. If I said to everyone, okay, the only way you can be a member of this community is you have to eat only organic. And you have to be gluten and dairy free. You know, I guess this is what membership in Orange County is all about, what I'm describing right now. I, I couldn't join in. But if I said you had to dress a certain way, you all had to wear slip-on vans. I'd say that's easy for me, but it might exclude some of you. Right, So the more stipulations you have, the more barriers, the more of a bottleneck there is to joining in and membership. Now, there was a time in God's history when he wanted his people distinguished in all these various ways culturally. But that time came to an end. He removed all the the red tape in Jesus to let in as many possible people so that what would distinguish us through the cross is no longer all these cultural customs, but our unity and love for one another. Through the cross, Jesus made a way for both groups, all groups of people, Jews and Gentiles alike, to fully get to God. And in setting aside their differences, he put to death the preexisting hostility that existed between those two groups. And that's the first outcome of just a few that I want to highlight this morning, that Jesus, he purposed, he committed to kill hostility. That's a phrase here. He resolved to break down dividing walls. He has the power to break down every dividing wall. Now, you and I cannot fathom the amount of hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. To the Jews, the Gentiles were the occupiers. They were spiritual defilers of their holy land. And they were the group more than any other in the Roman world that perpetually was rebelling violently against their oppressors. And the Gentiles despised the Jews particularly because of that. Everything about these groups was different. The customs, the diet, the ethics, the religion, the history, the politics. Every single thing about these two groups could not have been more opposed to the other. They hated each other. And I'm telling you, capital H-A-T-E-D, hated each other. But every one of those walls I identified between them, the politics, the religion, the history, the customs, was a wall Jesus tore down when he made the two one through the cross. So my question for us this morning is this. If God could make those two groups one, if he could kill their hostility, what do you think he has the power to do with us? If he could eliminate thousands of years of of hatred and an infinitude of differences between these two groups, what can he do between us? Like if I'm, old, I'm able to go to the gym, and let's say I could bench press 500 pounds, which I can't do, but if I could bench press 500 pounds, do you think I can handle five pounds? If I prove I'm capable at a higher level, don't you think I can handle the smaller things? And today we have so many potential dividing walls between us, different ways we live and think and behave in society and different ways we interpret scripture, different backgrounds, different preferences for how things should be done. And at various times in history, like what we had a couple of years ago, these differences get magnified and amplified. And if it leaves a division, guys, it is always us. If we are divided, we are our division because Jesus is always our peace. I talk about this a lot working in church unity and trying to get churches to serve together through the the organization of Serve City here in Huntington Beach. Here we've got hundreds of years of church history that have led to this very strange outcome. We've got all these Christian churches that have 95% of the same things in common, and yet they won't even spend the energy to acknowledge that each other exists. It strikes me that somehow Jesus was the power to unite Jew and Gentile, but he is no longer the power in our modern world to unite and make one Christians. Should that be? The truth is Jesus remains that unifying power. His power to tear down walls remains unbelievably stronger than our power to build them. Every big disagreement, every hostility, it's like a tower of children's blocks that God can just sort of kick over in Jesus if we don't waste our time building them back up, for he is our peace. Friends, if our peace was perfect alignment, if our peace was perfect agreement, if it was I never let you down, and you never let me down, and we think exactly the same way, then our peace is impossible to keep because our peace would be based on our perfection, and we all agree, none of us is perfect. It's like if you came to my house at, say, 5.30 p.m. at night, and and you went to see my disposition at 5.30 at night. I don't know if you guys know, i got five kids, so that's bedtime, that's dinner time overlapping. It's an insane time in my life, every single day of the week. If you came to my house and my peace and my disposition was dependent on how everyone else was behaving and I could only be at peace if all my kids listened to everything I said and did it exactly as they were told and went through the proper motions and that was the only way I'd feel peace, then you'd see me out of my mind, right? My peace has to be pulled from a deeper reality. If you're going to come over and still respect me, it has to be pulled from a deeper reality than the environment that I find myself in. We also, because Jesus is our peace, we have a deeper reality to pull from. And it's this, if you and I are reconciled to God, how can we be divided from each other? If God has accepted you and God has accepted me, then how are we not accepting each other? Jesus is the power to kill hostility. And if we're in him, we will experience that power. Now, peace in the biblical sense is not just the ceasing of active conflict. It's the substance of wholeness, well-being, and goodness. And in line with that, Paul goes on to describe not just how hostility has been removed between people groups, but how the substance of relationships has been forged through what Jesus did on the cross. He says in verse 18, through Jesus, God resolved to grant us access, that is, Jews as well as Gentiles. He granted us access to God through the one Spirit, Now, I want you to take note. It says one spirit. God didn't give multiple spirits to different ethnic groups. And he didn't give different kinds of spirits to different kinds of Christians. Like this Christian denomination has that spirit of God. And this Christian denomination has that spirit of God. And the intellectual Christians have this spirit, and the more emotive ones have that spirit. No, there is one spirit of God given to all who believe in Jesus by which they access the Father in heaven. So do you understand, do you grasp this, that the foremost distinguishing quality about any of us as believers is not our clothes, it's not our job, it's not our net worth. It's God's spirit alive in us. And we have that in common, above any of our perceived differences. Now, ironically, the Holy Spirit and everyone's view of him as the third person of the Trinity has become one more contention point and wall that some people set up to divide and one more thing by which people try to distinguish themselves from each other as in I have more of the Holy Spirit than you do, so I'm further along than you. That is the exact opposite intention of the Spirit of God. That's like saying a firefighter lights fires instead of putting them out. No, this isn't a sci-fi novel. This isn't Fahrenheit 451. The Spirit's primary work is our oneness above all else, not division. No matter what color your skin, no matter your gender, no matter how much in your bank account, no matter your spiritual gifts or your perceived lack of them, no matter what your age or experience is, no matter how many years you've been walking with Christ or haven't, followers of Jesus receive the Spirit of God the same, and you'll never receive anything of more value in your life than Never. And if every follower of Jesus has the Spirit of God living in them, then we always have that superior quality in common with each other. We have to be able to give priority to the Spirit in our lives and in our relationships with each other. Like in marriage, if I ranked every difference in commonality on the same level and didn't distinguish some as the priority, like let's say, you know, there we are, my wife and I, we like different music. She likes Morgan Wallen. I'm, I'm coming around to it. But, but I say, hey, oh, that's a, that's a negative one because we don't like different music. Oh, but we have kids in common. Well, that's a plus one. I guess we're back to Even. If I say, oh, we want something different for dinner. Oh, well, we're divided. That's a negative one. But we did make vows to be committed to each other for life. I guess that's a plus one. I guess we're back even. If everything was ranked in value the same, I'd have a real hard time navigating marriage. But there are certain things that supersede our differences, things we pull from that have priority and keep the trivial things in perspective. Friends, between believers Everything is trivial in comparison to the Spirit of God that we share. He is always greater. In our immaturity, we can get to a place where everything we think we have in common with someone is a plus one and everything else is a negative one and we're trying to do the math. When some things like the Spirit of God are a plus 10,000 in relationship between believers. Why? Why must we take so much of our time making so much of the little that we lack in common, when we have so much, all of God, that we share together. And sharing it we must, because we are no longer meant to be strangers and foreigners. That's what these two groups were, Jews and Gentiles, and indeed could continue to be if they played out their faith separately, if they chose to have, oh, here's the Jewish Christian congregation, and here's the Gentile Christian congregation. But no, God resolved in Jesus that they would be joined together, Now they are citizens of one nation together. That's what we are as Christians around the world. We place our national identity beneath our identity as citizens of God's everlasting kingdom. That's why national and global politics cannot divide us. That's the truth of the scripture. It's not always what happens in practice. If it's not happening in practice, if we're dividing over national and global politics, that means we put them above our citizenship to the everlasting kingdom of God, God's kingdom always unites us, and we are members of one household. We're family. Family dinner at the eternal feast of Jesus is going to have a seat for all of us at the same table. There isn't the kids' table that some of us are at, like at Christmas time, where all of us are at the same table. This is why it's preposterous for me to think that you could be a Christian and also believe that some expression of uniting together in fellowship with other Christians. Some expression of church is optional for you. Friends, Christianity is not an individual sport. It is not the discus. It is not the shot put where you've placed your faith in Jesus and now you're going to give it your best effort by yourself. Christianity is a team sport. It's built for team. It's built for the parts of the body working together. Recall, before the cross, Jesus prayed that his people would be one as he and the Father are one. He prayed for that, and then he went to the cross and provided the power for that prayer to become a reality for us. Now, was he just praying that we'd be joined together metaphysically? Did he pray, oh, Lord in heaven, I pray that they would metaphorically sort of be one. I pray that they would, you know, in some way poetically have some mild association with each other. No, God's wisdom and the mystery he had planned before the foundation of the world was to bring all people together in Jesus, and that our practiced and visible union and love for each other was going to be that which revealed the gospel to the rest of the world. We, in our being, joined together become the house of worship, the temple for God's presence where he's worshipped in truth. It is always Satan's work to isolate us from each other individually, to isolate us from each other as congregations in Huntington Beach because together we'd fulfill God's plans and everyone would know the love of God. There isn't a larger people group by any identity in this entire nation than Christians. If we would just come together, we could accomplish anything. It is Satan's work to isolate us. It is Satan's work to make us forget the superior things we have in common and to magnify our differences and to stoke our hostilities With each other. Jesus kills hostility between us. The Spirit makes us one and keeps us one. The cross always joins us to each other. All the sermons and theology in the world, friends, aren't worth a dime if we don't live them. Here's this big, beautiful house that we've inherited through the cross that isn't worth anything to us if we keep living on the lawn. To be honest, I feel like I only have one job in my life as a pastor. It's to call the church to what it already is, to move it into the house that God already gave it. If we became what we already are, revival wouldn't be a prayer. It would be on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean for us on a practical level? How do we lean into this power? Well, God has killed hostility. Let's put to death hostility. We want all people, even people that are unbelievers, even people that curse us, we want to bless. We want everyone in the entire world from all people groups to know God. We want to love our enemies. We want to accept everyone that God has already accepted in the family of faith. We may be our division with each other, but Jesus is our peace, and he is always greater. So put to death hostility in your marriages between husband and wife. We're resourcing you in this year. There's opportunities that Brock just described. Step into them. Put to death any hostility that exists in your marriage. Put to death hostility and conflict in your families. I love one of the prophecies about Jesus' coming in the book of Malachi in chapter 4. It says that he's going to turn the parents' hearts back to their children and their children's hearts back to their parents because he's putting to death hostility In the family, sometimes where it's the strongest. Put to death hostility with your roommates. Put to death hostility in our community. Let us hold to the power of our union, the spirit in all of us. Give him priority. Our foremost quality is one that we share with everyone here, with every other believer in Jesus. That We know, guys, that we're always already one. We're already unified with each other, and we can't be anything but unified with each other when we all have the same Spirit of God living in us. Would we just practice what is already true of each of us and let us join together? In this new year, choose to gather with the church to make it your effort to come together for a community group. It takes effort to participate in works that call us together. Open your home and accept the invite of everyone else because it's always God's intention. He's always working out through the cross, the joining of us with one another in a real and lived way. Friends, in this new year, do you want to encounter God? Do you want to encounter God in a greater way? He made you to encounter him through the people he filled with his spirit all around you right here right now. Let's encounter him through our fellowship with each other. That is what the cross has brought, not just a freedom from sin, not just a reconciliation with God, but the power of our reconciliation with each other. Jesus is our peace, and he's greater than any earthly divisions. Let me pray that over our church. And God bless you guys for being out here and sticking it out. And it sure was raining at the beginning of my message And here you still are. And and you know what? I know that this only represents a portion of our church, but I believe that this message is as much a message for us to receive as much as it's a prayer. It's a prayer for our whole community. It's a prayer for the community of Huntington Beach. It's a prayer for America as a whole as we step into this next year. So would we pray into it together and intercede on behalf of those who aren't here or who won't hear it?